When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Sometimes the game velocity, you have to stop or pause. Because if you keep being task-oriented and doing things that don't make a difference, you're not achieving anything and you're actually adding resistance to your velocity. Welcome to Change Your Mindset Podcast, where it's all about believing in and executing on different and innovative ways to strengthen both your leadership and communication skills to help increase your success, and especially in today's disruptive business environment. One of the most effective ways of building stronger leadership and communication skills is by embracing the principles of improvisation. (laughs) Yes, that's right, improv. Your host, Peter Margaritas, is an improv virtuoso. He's also a certified speaking professional and a CPA, also known as the Accidental Accountant. Each episode of Change Your Mindset is designed to bring you different and innovative ideas, thoughts, and behavioral changes on a variety of differing topics, with the sole purpose of strengthening your critical soft skills. We may call them soft skills, but they are the hardest to master. And when we do, greater success and growth is the result. So jump in and start changing your mindset now. Let's start the show. Today, my guest Ron Carr has worked with leaders of organizations on six continents to eliminate risk, gain buy-in, and achieve better results faster with the Velocity Mindset. For the past 30 years, Ron Carr's presentations and advisory services have generated over a billion dollars in incremental revenues for his clients. Ron is the author of five books, including his latest, Velocity Mindset, and the bestseller, Lead, Sell, or Get Out of the Way. He's been interviewed on Fox News, CBS Morning Show, Bloomberg TV, BBC, and hundreds of radio stations. His articles have appeared in over 250 national publications. Ron is also the facilitator of the prestigious CRO, Chief Revenue Officer, Mastermind Group, made up of CEOs and VPs of high-growth companies looking to build high-performance sales cultures. Ron served as the 2013-2014 president of the National Speakers Association, as well as an advisor to several boards of directors. Currently, Ron hails from the New York City tri-state area with a planned relocation to a much warmer climate by the time this episode airs. As we discussed his book, pay close attention to our discussion around alignment, because what Ron shared blew me away to the point that I was speechless. There's a teaser for you. Before we get to the interview, just some housekeeping items to take care of. 
The first one is, I'm so excited because my book, Off Script, Master the Art of Business Improvisation, has been scheduled for release. The paperback edition will be released on October 6th, and the Kindle ebook edition will be released on November 3rd. And both formats are available for pre-order on Amazon now. And because I want to do something special for my friends and my supporters, both editions are 20% off during the pre-order process. So go to www.offscriptimprov.com and you'll be redirected to the book page on Amazon. And thank you for your support. Also, please subscribe to and share this podcast episode with a friend. I would greatly appreciate it. And also visit my YouTube channel, The Accidental Accountant, where you can see this video episode and several past podcast interviews. And also please subscribe to my YouTube channel. This podcast is part of the C-Suite Radio Network, turning the volume up on business. This episode is sponsored by Peter A. Margaritas, LLC, also known as The Accidental Accountant. Are you looking for a speaker that can bring powerful content, virtually or in person or on-site, that is memorable and engaging in a way that motivates and inspires your audience? Instead of data dumping and numbing with numbers, imagine your people and teams delivering a financial story to your stakeholders. A story that creates engaging and relationship-building business conversations. Would you be interested in learning more about how that is accomplished? How would you feel if the value your facilitator provided your organization far exceeded the dollar amount on their invoice? Peter Margaritas, CPA and Certified Speaking Professional, delivers all of the above and much, much more. All of Peter's programs can be done virtually, in person and on site at your location or at an off-site venue. Send Peter a note at peter at petermargaritas.com and or visit his website at www.petermargaritas.com to learn more about what Peter can bring to your next conference, management retreat, or workshop. Now, let's get to the interview with Ron Carr. I am so excited for my guest today, Ron Carr. Now, uh, Ron is, a, as you heard in the intro, a past president of the National Speakers Association. And when he was turning over that gavel, I was in the audience. And the gift I believe the board gave to you was a guitar signed by Bruce, Bruce Springsteen, Springsteen. And, the, and the entire E Street Band, including Clowns Clemens before he passed. That's the way. And I got goosebumps then, and I just got goosebumps now as you say that because I'm a huge Springsteen fan, and I hope you have a security system at your house. Because <laughs> you even showed it to me just before we started, and that's that, that's pretty cool. And Ron, thank you for taking time out of your busy schedule to uh, be on my podcast. Thank you for having me. Uh, so you've written a new book, The Velocity Mindset, How Leaders Eliminate Resistance, Gain Buy-In, Achieve Better results faster what was the when did you decide that you were going to write this book because this is your second book what was going on in your life or your thought process at the time that you said this is what i want to write next well this is actually my fifth book so when i gave up the gavel of nsa that you talked about i had nine surgeries right after that mostly on my back my back you know how tiger had one level fused i had nine levels fused so for two years it was a lot of pain a lot of uh being down on my back, no pun intended. And um, 
you start thinking about your life. You start thinking about all the things you successfully did. Then you think about the things you wanted to do and didn't get to it. And when I started thinking about those things, I realized it wasn't because of external factors I didn't get to them. It was because of my own fears and stories that I was telling myself. And at that time, I was 57. So, you know, the runway is getting short. So the need for speeding up things, you know, was getting more and more. So at the same time, I uh, brought down Chris West, who is a well-known videographer for speaker videos. And I was giving a speech at the University of Texas in Austin. So he came down to film me. And I, I told him, look, you know, your job is not just to give me a new video, but help me figure out the brand going forward. And the next day he called me up. He goes, I got your brand. I go, what's that? He goes, Velocity Mindset. And it hit me between the eyes, but I said, how'd you get that? He goes, women, how did I get that? That's all you talk about. <laughs> and you've been talking about it for years and you've been, you've been writing about it. And yes, because my value to my clients was how do they grow their companies and get to the next level in the safest and fastest way possible. So we started investigating the concept of velocity as a brand, you know, and then we trademarked it. And, but, you know, I'll do it this way, Peter. When you hear the word velocity, what's the first word that comes to your mind? Speed, fast, get there quick. Yeah, exactly. And that's what everybody thinks. But if that's all we think about velocity, then you'll probably get burnout. See, the true definition of the physics definition of velocity is speed plus direction. Now, direction is where you want to go. And the way I define it, it's the outcome. The outcome of a sales call, the outcome of a conversation, the outcome of a year, the outcome of a life, whatever it is you're working on. And I go back to all the work I've done with the CEOs, and I find that a lot of people are more task-oriented than purpose-oriented. They, they do so many tasks on a daily basis. They want to get it done. And at the end of the day, they're exhausted. They don't have time for anything. And they say, what did I really accomplish? And CEOs are like that too, in a sense, because they keep working in the business versus on the business. And they're not taking time to think about where they're going. So if we take that word direction and replace it with the word purpose. Okay. People need to be more purpose-driven, not task-driven. So if you're purpose-driven, then you'll identify the tasks you need to take and you'll use the right tasks to help you get there. And so many people need to figure that out, from CEOs all the way down to everybody. I mean, we're all leaders, okay? And you lead your life, you lead your family, you, you lead people at work or whatever, so we're all technically leaders. So I started looking at what leaders do, and the book really was a, is a work on how you can gain velocity in your efforts by looking at how you lead your life, how you lead others. And the three areas that we broke the book down into was mindset, alignment, and destiny. So what is that mindset? So mindset is about, well, we define mindset, what does it mean? You know, mindset is, is where your mind is at that given time. What you're thinking about? Mm -hmm. What do you believe is possible? What do you believe is not possible? So the velocity mindset simply is how do I get somewhere sooner and later and what's involved in getting there? Okay. So in other words, do you have the purpose? Are you passionate about the purpose? Is it driving you so when you get knocked off the railroad track on the way to your future, it'll, be, it'll act like a madman and bring you back up? So for me, when I think of the velocity mindset, I'm not looking at tasks. I'm looking at where does my client want to get to? Where do I want to get to? 
and what's the fastest way there? And when I speak to my client, I have ADD. So the good news is it serves me well because my mind goes off five different directions at one time. So immediately I'm going looking for all the potential obstacles that can get in the way of where someone wants to go. And then we deal with those. Mindset is how you feel about yourself. Mindset is, is what you feel is possible, not possible. Mindset is what you feel you can create. The mindset is so important because whatever your mindset is at a given time, when you go into a conversation, whatever your mindset is, that's what's going to drive your actions and it's what's going to drive your results. You said something earlier that I wrote down, fears. Our fears tend to get into the way. Can you expound on that? Yeah, so it's fears and stories. So uh, let me start with stories if I can first. Please. So someone says something to us or does something to us. We then internalize as to what we think was meant. We create a story. All stories are fueled with emotion. Now, if the story serves you well, i.e., a teacher said you would never amount to anything when you were a young kid, and then you use it as a chip on your shoulder, and now you excel at everything, then keep using it. It's serving you well. Now, if you use it too much, or you start sacrificing other things like your family, then you may have to modify things. But if it's a positive story with, a, with good juice and it's pushing you forward, great. It's the stories with the negative juice we have to worry about. The stories, you know, so another person could have been told the same thing by that teacher. And instead of using it as a chip to drive them forward, they now have the story that they'll never amount to anything. So why should they even bother trying anything? I already know I'm going to be a failure. That's obviously not serving you well. Now, here's the good news. You ready, Peter? I'm ready. A story is not reality. Who can change the story? The person who wrote it. It's that simple. And when I coach CEOs, when I coach people on that, all of a sudden they feel a relief because they feel a prisoner story. They go, oh my God, is that simple? Yes. You just got to know what you want that story to be and how you're going to change it. But first you have to acknowledge that it's a story. Mm-hmm. Now, stories sometimes are made up of our fears. You know, we know what the word fear is, you know, something that prevents us going because we think something will happen and we don't want to have happen or whatever. So the reason why we don't go forward in life with things we want is a combination of our fears and also the stories from which we operate under. Okay, there's a long pause there, and it's not because of the art of the pause that we're going to talk about, but that's just me reflecting on the stories that I have told myself over time, how I've tried to change those stories and how I've been more successful than not, but I still have some of those other stories that keep holding me back. I, well, I just I find a new way to yeah. narrative. So, there's a couple of things. Sometimes you can't stop certain stories from keep coming back to you. I mean, it's part of life. The question is, can you acknowledge that it's happening so that you can change it? Mm-hmm. Now, I was very vulnerable in this book. One thing I teach leaders is that vulnerability sells. So if they know that you've been in their shoes, you walk their shoes, then they're more likely to listen to you. You know, you and I belong to the National Speakers Association, and we've both seen speakers up on stage who are phenomenal, but they give the persona like they're so good, they never had an issue in their lives, and it's hard for people to relate to that. I don't believe in that. I believe in being real. I don't believe in doing therapy on audience for my benefit. But there's a right balance that people can understand. So 
when I grew up, I grew up in a very tough household. Uh, my father was a victim of the Holocaust, mm. not in the German camps, but in a Russian camp, and he lost his mother. And what he went through was horrendous. Yeah. It would damage anybody. Mm -hmm. It's been documented that people that were victims of the Holocaust tend to abuse the, the, kid, the families. Not uh, sexually, but you know, mm -hmm. physically, verbally. Why? Because they're kind of damaged, so the, the, whole, the whole mindset is distorted. But also, they went through something so horrible that they really love their kids and they want the best, and they'll do anything to protect them. And sometimes it's like recreating a prison at home. And that's what my father did. He recreated a prison that prevented us from being natural kids, you know, mm -hmm. going out with friends. And if he did one thing wrong because he couldn't control his emotions, all of a sudden a, a, a pleasant moment turned into a moment where you would say things to a kid you would never say, throw a knife at them or whatever, and it was just very tough. So obviously you create stories is what that means. Right. So I dealt with that, you know, because I had no confidence when I got out of, out of college, you know, and I did, I had my own therapist and it went well and I worked on it. But I never got rid of it completely, you know, so someone said, go see this wisdom teacher. And I went a few years ago. And that's where I learned the concept of stories because it was a five session deal. And at the last session, she said to me, look, whatever your father did for you, to you, he did for his own reasons, which you do not know, we, we assume. But you in turn took it as to what you feel it meant. Maybe he didn't love you or whatever. That's what we mean by story. Now, when something so significantly happens, you just don't forget stories like that that you create that have driven you all your life. Right. But the trick is knowing that they can still show up sometimes. How do you at least acknowledge when they're showing up and when they're not serving you well? So at least in that instance, you can rewrite it so that you can have a different story driving you for whatever it is you're trying to achieve. And changing that mindset. Yes. To, to, to realign that mindset into the more positive aspect or, or exactly. what, do you, what do you want to accomplish? That's, I got my own issues with uh, confidence, you know, sometimes. And so the way I do it, I have a mantra that I'm more than enough. I know I'm more than enough. I see it on my testimonials. I see it in everything else. And, and so when I get myself thinking about that story, it changes my physique. It changes my energy. It changes the way I look at things and how I make decisions because the stories also affect our decision-making ability. Right. So CEOs face that. Managers face that. Coaches face that. We all do, depending on what stories we've created for ourselves. So uh, thank you for that the story around the mindset and, and how it's, it's much more complicated, but it also, to your point, it's also very easy is just putting our mind to it and changing that, that narrative that we have going through our head. You said the book was in three parts. The, the second part, if I wrote it down and remember was alignment. How does that fit in? Well, if you're going to be a leader and you want to gain velocity, you can't do everything yourself. You got to do it to the support of everybody. So you got to align yourself with other people. Mm -hmm. The problem with alignment, People don't understand what goes into that. So they usually come from a self-focused mindset, which doesn't get people to align with you because people do it for their reasons, not yours. Mm -hmm. And they don't understand that as a leader, if you really want to influence others, the first thing you have to do before you even give an argument, you have to create a safe environment for them to want to talk to you. Yes. So yes. I stumbled upon this in the, like around 2000 when I was brought in by a financial services company because they wanted to reduce their sales cycle from five to three calls to get a new investor on board. Mm -hmm. 
And so I, I stumbled onto the process of how to do that. And then about 10 years later, the neuroscience came out that explained it. And now we combine both of them so people can really understand how the brain works and how to engage others. So the first thing you have to do when you want to align with somebody is you have to create a safe environment. So we know there's a hormone in our brain called cortisol, the fight or flight hormone. Mm-hmm. You don't get rid of it. But if it's not at the right level, then you don't get people engaged. If it's too high, like over a six, seven, eight, nine, ten, people are agitated, they're stressed, and they're not listening to you. You really want them at a four or five. If they're at a one or two, they're not stressed, but they're not really engaged. You need people with maximum engagement. So you go back to this financial services firm, their market was retirees and conservative markets who didn't trade a lot. That's who their market was. So I went on a couple of calls with a financial advisor outside Chicago. And on the first call, we went into this nice couple's house and he spent 12 and a half minutes, I counted on my watch, doing all the social chit chat about the kids, the grandkids and the pictures, the bears and all that other stuff. And I can see in the couple's uh, eyes, they're being very polite, but they're going, what are these two guys doing in my house? <laughs> and then after 12 and a half minutes where you can see the cortisol just going up, mm. he asked the question, so who handles your stocks and bonds? Now, if we thought about it, they probably have somebody already. So why is he talking about stocks and bonds? So the cortisol goes up more because now saying, I don't even have a need for this. Right. So I took him outside and I said, look, you know, cut the chit chat 30 seconds, go in and say, look, you know, there's not about stocks and bonds, and I probably got somebody. It's not what I'm here for. I'm here about your future. Can I ask you an important question? And he tried it in the next house. And the question I told him to ask was, when it comes to your future, your financial future, what are the three things that are most important to you? And I noticed something that all of a sudden the eyes would go up. And there was a pause. And then they get into their own zone about them. Their demeanor changed. And then they started giving us the answers, what's important to them. And it happened on every call we went on after that. And so we did a, a study. They had a closed circuit TV booth, you know, in the headquarters. Mm-hmm. We had the top investors come in, they signed waivers, they knew we were going to video them. And to a person, when that question was asked, everybody's eyes went up. Mm-hmm. Left, right, whatever. And so when I wrote Lead, Sell, Get Out of the Way in 2009, we talked about this. Because where salespeople were going wrong, they would ask status-based questions. Who you're using? What are you using? Which would make the cortisol go up. Because why would you make a customer educate you when there's no value to them? Right. But when you ask them where they're trying to go, an issues-based question, all of a sudden you got their attention. So what we found out is that, and I started interviewing people because I do this on stage, when we do this role play, Someone will, you know, those, the audience will see a change in the conversation. The first way, the way most salespeople do it, or leaders, and the second way, one of the most important things I see a change. I'll ask the person playing the role of the customer or the employee. When that question was asked, something changed in your brain. Describe what happened. They go, yeah, you know, uh, I was on guard in the beginning. I didn't want to be sold to. I was wondering, what is the person doing here? And all of a sudden, when it was about me and where I was trying to go, I calmed down. I started thinking about it. And I said, well, did you start trusting me more? And they said, yes. And I said, well, trust is earned. So the brain hormone for trust is oxytocin, the love and trust hormone. 
Now, trust is earned, so you don't get trust immediately. But still, for someone to give you even three answers to the question, they have to trust you a little bit. Mm-hmm. Which means a little oxytocin is released. But they won't do it if they think you're out there for yourself and not for them. And by changing that mindset for them as to where they're going, all of a sudden, without even talking about the value offer, they're saying, wow, the person's really here for me. It's about where I'm going. So yeah, I'll tell them three things that are important to me. And then I'll ask the person playing the customer, did you feel better about the call? They said, yeah. So you're feeling good. Yeah, that's dopamine. But the dopamine only rides of oxytocin. So we figured it out. We figured out the, uh, the way the hormones work. We figured out, explained what I was doing up to that point. And then Scott Halford, a PhD now in neuroscience, who's also from NSA, we're good friends. And I sat down with him and he kind of sketched out. And it's funny, he endorsed the book, but he thinks I'm the brilliant one because he's never seen anybody apply it to sales and leadership like I did. And yet he's the one to help me. So go figure. Wow. Wow. That was one hell of a story, Ron. And you're right. I, let, me, said- let, let me explain how fast that works. Okay. So that company actually reduced their sales cycle from five to three calls. Think about the velocity. But I was in the headquarters working with the senior partners one day. If they had a class in of advisors who were in the field for four to seven years, and they said, can you do an hour for the class? So I did it one day on five, at 5.30, you know, after they were done. Mm-hmm. And we're all staying in the same hotel. And so that night, one of them called me up at 11. He goes, I'm sorry to wake you up. And I got to talk to you. I go, what's wrong? He goes, I tried what you said on the phone. I had two widows. Both had 100000 One of them worked for six months, one for four months. And I couldn't get them to budge. And I said, what'd you do? So I called them both up and I said, I was remiss. All I did was talk to you about stocks and bonds. I never asked you the most important question I should have. Can I please ask you that question? And they said, yes. And he asked the question, in your future, what are the three things you want you might provide for you? One widow committed the funds in that phone call. The other widow gave him another appointment. That's how instantaneous the results can be. Now, I'm going to go back and look at all the stuff that I do. And now I gotta, I'm going to look at through your lens. Wow. And I've done some research on the brain in one of my previous books, but never to the degree that what you just laid out. That is, that is remarkable. And it was something you knew about, but you, but you actually watched the person's physical movement with the eyes going up and around and, and, and seeing that they became more relaxed. Yeah, so just begin- be, yourself, be, be yourself for a second, okay? Don't do anything. I just want you to be natural, okay? Okay. <laughs> I'm, I'm going to do two calls with you, okay? Okay. Uh, let's suppose that, well, I'm a speaker like you are. Let's, <laughs> let's suppose you have a meeting coming up, okay? What? Hey, Peter, how you doing? I'm doing great. How are you doing? But hey, I, I see you got a meeting coming up, and I'm a keynote speaker, and I've, I've spoken in front of, you know, 50 audiences a year for the last 30 years, and I can really come in and energize that meeting, and I would love to talk to you about what I can bring to your meeting. And now the audience can't see you, but I'm going to describe what you react. Well, I'm going to describe the reaction hmm. in a second. Now let's do it again, okay? Okay. Hey, Peter, how are you doing? I'm doing great. How are you, Ron? I'm doing great. Hey, I hear you got the responsibility of setting up this next conference. And it's probably got to be stressful to you because I, I'm sure that you want to make it a huge success. Do you mind if I asked you a question? Sure, go ahead. When you think about the success you want to achieve at this conference, what are the three things you want your audience walking away with? You can stop. Your lies just went up. 
They did? Yes. You're right. They did. Because I'm thinking what what yes. goes through. Wow. And you're not thinking about me. No. Now, in the first role play, you are nodding your head. Your eyes stayed at me, <laughs> but you are not buying anything. You're, oh, my God. Right. Yeah. Well, yeah. you describe. What was it like the first time for you? Yeah, yeah he's telling me something. He's telling me all about him. Was your stress going up? Uh, yes. And yeah. the second time? Yeah, the second time, it, it, it wasn't about you. Yeah. It was about me. Yeah. And the and stress you, of putting a conference together. What do I want my tenders to walk away with? And did you start trusting me because I laid that? Yeah. 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 Wow. That's how it works. That's remarkable. Oh, my God. I, I've got work to do after this thing is over with. After this interview is over with. So take me down the third. I think you said the third pillar or whatever is destiny. destiny? Yeah. The destiny. So. So it's funny because it's really should be the first thing you talk about, but we left it for the last because we it's so important. We want people to end with it. The destiny is that purpose. That destiny is that direction. Remember, if you just have speed without direction or purpose, you probably will miss where you want to be in life or in a, a certain goal. So when you think about destiny, what we talk about in that section, we talk about the clear piece of paper exercise. So. A lot of people will say, and I've had the same problem, you know, visualize what you want. They say, well, I can't visualize. Well, allow yourself. Well, one of the reasons why they can't visualize is because what they have in their mind is what they know the world to be. Their past experiences, their biases, and everything else. And so what happens is when people visualize, they tend to visualize what they think is possible and not possible based on how they know the world to be. And therefore, they either shoot too low or they recreate the results they already had, and they want to know why they're not getting anything different. If you're truly going to visualize a path forward to achieve something you haven't done, you have to put the past aside. Right. Forget the past. Mm -hmm. And you may even think about a passion. What's going to drive you? You know, what's going to be strong enough that if you get knocked off that track on the way to your future, they'll act like a madman to bring you back up. So allow yourself to dream, allow yourself to think about what really is going to get you moving in every core of your body. And so you need, that's the clean piece of paper exercise. So an example, I was brought in by a uh, multinational chemical manufacturer. I spoke at several of the divisions in the early 90s. One division took 20 years to create a reagent that cut in half the cost of mining copper. When they brought it out 20 years later, the sales shot up and they actually saved the copper mines from going bankrupt in the 80s. So the market share grew like this. And uh, now, com competitors see you're making money, so what do they do? They re-engineer, come out with a similar offering, not as good as yours, so the only way that they can compete is price. We know the drill, right? Yeah, yeah. So they get a hold of me after I spoke to their team, and the guy says, look, the largest copper mining company is Phelps Dodge. We only have you know 25% of their demand, and we have a big meeting with the sourcing team next week. We want to use your, your skill set to change our fortunes. So would you come out and prep us? I said, sure. So the first thing I did when I got into the conference room in Tucson, I asked him the question, what do you want for my intervention? Now, the way that industry bought, they always bought on a bid for lowest price every three years. So their answer was, we want to win the bid. I said, that was not my question. <laughs> You're answering based on how you know the world to be and what you think is possible. If your heart was talking, what would you really want? And all of a sudden, that passion comes out. Well, why do we have to bid? We save them. I said, so what do you want? A negotiated agreement. I said, great. They buy every three years. How long? Ten. 
fine. You have 25%. What do you want? 75%. So let me repeat what you just said. <laughs> you want a 10-year deal negotiated for 75% of the demand. They said, yes. And I said, you can do that if you want. But the first thing you have to understand is you're going to take a different set of actions to get to that spot than it is to win a bid. And then they asked me the fateful question. How are we going to do it? My answer, I have no clue. And they go, what? <laughs> now, look, I talk about intuition in the book. My intuition was telling me, I think there's a lot of room for us to get close to that. I can't tell you we're going to get there, but we're going to get something a lot better than what you got now if you start doing what I'm saying. But what I'm also teaching them is when you get a vision like that and you haven't walked the journey yet, how can you have the answers up front? It's not a realistic expectation. And so when you look at leadership and the real leaders, when they forge all like Elon Musk, you know, wants to go up in, in, into space. He wants to develop an electric car before anybody else. You think he had all the questions? No, he was married to the vision. But then the leaders have to be comfortable not having the answers up front, and most people are not. They think they have to have the answers up front, number one. A leader's job is to pave the path forward. And then as you let that vision sit in your mind and you ruminate, it leads to more questions. Then you find out who has the answers and you keep filling in the blanks until you have the picture enough that you can act on it. So you and I know a, a common individual. He's wrote the forward on my book, Dr. Nito Cobain, president of High Point University. Nito and I go back 30 years. Nito came to the United States at 15 years of age with $15 in his pocket from Lebanon. His mother sent him here to uh, have a better life. He didn't know anybody, he settled in High Point. So I said, Nito, you had a vision. And he said, yes, but he had a great distinction. And that's why he likes the book and he supported it. I had a vision, but I didn't have clarity of vision. Clarity of vision only comes from walking the journey. So it goes with what I'm talking about, not having the answers up front. The answers, your clarity will develop as you go through the journey. So as we started with this chemical manufacturer, we would raise what we know, what we don't know, figure out who we got to ask questions. They go out and every quarter I come back, assess the information, see what else we need to find out until eventually we developed a strategy a year later. And 18 months later, they were awarded a 10-year, $200 million deal. The first ever deal of that kind in the industry, we changed the way that industry bought. But it started with somebody having a different vision of what they wanted to achieve. And they weren't married to what the past has always done. That's going to be extremely challenging to divorce yourself from the past. And, and that thought process, as you create that vision, there's a lot of people, I guess it depends on their level of risk, will revert back continually to the past and, and, and to try to right. sever. Well, the reason they go to the past is because they, they can't see it, they can't feel it. And that's what they have to get comfortable with. But if they allow themselves to think about it, and dwell on it. So there was a book written in 1913 called The Science of Getting Rich by Wallace Waddles. And he evaluated all the industrialists who made it big and the rest of the world who didn't. What was the difference? And he zeroed in on a couple of traits. One trait is called the thought and formless substance, the big idea. You have a big idea. It's an idea. It's not thought out. There's no form, right? That's the thought right. and formless substance. So the way I can explain it, you know, when I was in New York in the 80s and a lot of neighborhoods were dilapidated, like, you know, 90th Street, 110th Street, 
you're going to have 20 people driving down a block, let's say 100th Street at the bottom of Harlem, see a dilapidated building in a downtrodden neighborhood. 19 people say, oh, my God, this building could really become something. But it's such a big idea that they have no idea they keep driving by. But not that one person at 20th who had the same idea. The difference is they didn't have to have the answers up front. They kept driving by for the next two months. It was in their mind. They kept thinking about it and thinking about it. And then eventually they had an idea that fleshed out. They went to an architect who got the idea, put it on paper. Now you can see it, feel it. Then they got to figure out how to do it. They get a hold of contractors. They ask questions to get the answers before you know it's developed. That's what he meant by the thought and form of substance. That was the difference between the people who made it and people that didn't. Like Elon Musk, like uh, Steve Jobs. And it doesn't have to be these people at that high level. It could be anybody who sells more than you do, you know, who has a different idea on how to attack a market or whatever. It's exactly the same thing we're talking about. It's, having, it's allowing yourself to have that thought and form of substance, think about it, see what you can come up with, get more questions and answers, and walk that journey so that you can start creating it. What we focus on is what we create. Absolutely. And for a speaker, I'm usually not a loss for words, Ron, but this, I, 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 you know, I come into these, these interviews, not knowing what to expect. A lot of times I do my homework and research, uh, but I will have to admit, I've done over 200 episodes, been doing this for five, six years. This one, I probably thought more during the interview about what my, my guest was saying and, try, and, and it's kind of taken me a little bit off my interview game, but it's, it's absolutely brilliant, fascinating, that I will re-listen to this episode a number of times. And I'm not done with the interview. I still have a few more questions I want to ask. And I know you got, I know you got a meeting coming up in, in, in a few minutes. Uh, the velocity of my mind being blown away is just tremendous right now. So That's great. <laughs> you talk about the art of the pause. Mm -hmm. Now, I think about the art of the pause on stage, mm -hmm. and then let the audience catch up or you that's where you're going to deliver maybe a humorous line that pause what is the art of the pause as it relates to velocity it's the same concept we pause on stage why because what we want is to create an environment so people the message lands mm -hmm. and if we say it too fast and people can't keep up it doesn't land so we wasted our time we didn't get velocity and get what we want we didn't achieve it so I'll give you a business example. So when I, my first sales job was selling copiers, 1980. I was hired by Royal Business Machines. It was when they first came out, the first plain bond copier, you know, no more liquid toner that spoiled your clothes and all that. They were seducing me, 15 crisp <laughs> copies a minute. I said, where's the collator? Don't worry about it, I'll be here in six months. Where's the duplicator? Don't worry about being six months. So I got seduced, I get hired. I couldn't sell a damn thing for two months. I, every company I cold called on, well, can you do what the big Xerox machine on the third floor does? Well, no. Well, when you can, come back. Well, <laughs> you know, now a premise of the book, The Velocity Mindset, is what would the world look like if everybody was a leader and not a victim of circumstance? So when a lot of people are in that position I was, what do most people do? They blame everybody else. Yeah. Blame the company for not coming out and all that. But I said, wait a minute. I can blame the company all I want to. Bottom line is it's not coming for two years. I can make a living now. So I took a pause. Sometimes to gain velocity, you have to stop or pause. Because if you keep being task-oriented and doing things that don't make a difference, you're not achieving anything and you're actually adding resistance to your velocity drag. So I decided to have a board meeting with myself. 
me, myself, and I, we went to a diner. And I said, okay, let's pause. Let's focus here. What are you doing? Now, one more thing. A, a, a question that is central in that book for every leader, whether it's your kids, your family, business, whatever. A, a good leader, when something happens, they don't immediately blame other people, even though there could be other people to blame. The first thing they do is they say, what could I do differently next time? And that's what that board meeting was all about for me. So I looked at what I was doing. I'm selling a copy. What are you doing? Position is a copy. Is it working? No. Why? Because Xerox has all those other stuff. Can you compete? No. So why are you doing that? So then I had to come up with a different angle. So I said, what does a copier do? It's a communication vehicle. Oh, let me try that. Next call I go in. I, I met an office manager. I said, would you agree with me that a copy is nothing more than a communication vehicle? She goes, absolutely. I said, well, when it comes to this vehicle, what do you think the biggest challenge is? And oh my God, it was like she got on the, on the therapy couch. She started opening up. She goes, oh my God, Jim or Sally has one copy to make on the first floor. By the time they get upstairs, wait behind all those big jobs, come back down and chit chat. It could take two hours. I said, how often does that happen? She goes, the equivalent of two full-time employees. I go, wow, would you like them back? She goes, how are you going to do that? <laughs> look, I'm not here to compete against the Xerox machine on the third floor. It's a great machine. Keep it. I'm here to fill in your gaps. And right now, I can give you back those two full-time employees because this great copier does 15 copies a minute. Everything you want for those one and two copy jobs, they don't have to go on two-hour excursions. I would suggest you put one on every floor. I started selling three at a time. That only came because I paused. Yeah. I took responsibility for myself. What could I do differently? I evaluated what I was doing, what wasn't working. Tried to figure out a different angle, tested it, and it worked. Now, sometimes it doesn't work, so you keep testing. But that's what we need about pause. If something's not working or you're not happy with what's going, take a pause. Now, all of us had a forced pause with COVID. Yeah. And that's why... When we all paused, a lot of people started re-looking at their purpose. And that's why a lot of people started making significant changes. So we could look at COVID as something really bad, and it is that a lot of people that died and a lot of people that still have long-term things, and I, I feel for them. So it's not a good thing, COVID. Don't get me wrong. But if there's ever a silver lining, it's all those other people that realize that maybe they could do something different, realize that we can have the best plans in life. But you know, when we do, God just laughs at us. So they started realizing what's really important and they started recalibrating their lives. Absolutely. And that's, I, I know a lot of uh, my colleagues did that. Uh, maybe after the first couple of days, <clears throat> two, three days. I also know a few people within our association who were reluctant to making the, those changes early on. And, I'm and doing again, it. I'm moving to Florida. <laughs> no, no, seriously. Because I, I thought that I'm 64. I said, you know, I lost a lot of money from those surgeries. Let me make the money back yeah. when I'm 70. I said, why back to 70? You don't know. Why don't you go down to Florida now? You got your business. You can be designing and enjoy life now. Same thing. So transparency to the audience. You, this is the 11th of August. And you said two weeks from today. Two weeks from Friday. From Friday. Uh, you'll be relocating to Florida. And, and am I scared? Absolutely. I've lived here for 64 years in the New York metro area. This is what I know. It's my umbilical cord. Yeah. And now my daughter's up here, the closest thing to me. I love her. She loves me. But she wants me to go where I'll be happy. I need a better lifestyle. Do I have the answers what it's going to be like down there? How am I going to do it? No. But I'm trusting that it will work out. 
and you just walk the journey. And you've changed that mindset. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and looking at it from a positive lens yeah. and, and all the good that's going to, I mean, it get, does get hot down there. Ron. But, but not, but not fluffy lens, you know, yeah, right. I mean, I, I'm, I'm aware that it may not work out, but then I'll come yeah. back. Yeah. So it's come back. I'm blown away by the velocity mindset, what you've written, how you've achieved it, the stories that you've told. Is it what one thing that you can leave my audience with to make them, yeah, I, uh, somebody, I, I heard this phrase about a year ago, how you eat an elephant, one bite at a time. So when you want to make a change like this, you can't just gulp the elephant down, you got to go at slow paces. What could you advise my audience as they're listening to this? Probably, hopefully, if you're driving, pull off, listen to it before you get back on the road. Keep them on that journey to changing to this velocity mindset. People do things for their own reasons. So number one, make sure you're doing it for the right reasons for you. You're passionate about it, you're driven by it, and it's something that you wanna do. And then remember, when you need to align yourself with others, they're not gonna do it for your reasons, they're gonna do it for theirs. So just remember that people do things for their reasons. Make sure you're true to your reasons and make sure you have empathy and you're finding out other people's reasons because the key to influence is real simple. It's not giving somebody an argument as to why they should do something. It's giving them an argument in context to what's important to them. Wow. Ron, thank you so very much. Good luck in your journey to Florida. I know our paths will cross at an NSA event, and I want to talk to you more about this. I'm actually uh, looking forward to reading a copy of this book, uh, get my hands on it. It's and on Amazon. I know. It's on Amazon. I was trying to get you. It's on Amazon. And it's an ebook form. And audible, I did and the one. You did, you, you did the, the, the work behind and, and, and read yeah. that? Good for you, I, I did one book that way and that's harder than people believe. Now I love it, you know why? What? Because it allows me to bring the words to life. Yeah, yeah, and it really has to, if you're gonna do audible, the author should read it because they bring that extra passion there. So thank you so very much and I look forward to our paths crossing soon. My privilege, thank you for having me, Peter. I want to thank Ron for his time in discussing the Velocity Mindset and sharing his powerful stories to enhance its appeal. I will conclude this episode with an improv quote, and you may have heard me say this from before. Listening is not merely hearing. Listening is reacting. Listening is being affected by what you hear. Listening is active. Stay safe. Like what you just heard, visit c-suiteradio.com. C-Suite Radio, turning the volume up on business. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.